Welcome to Brave. Be inspired by the best leaders of Southeast Asia tech. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. I'm Jeremy Ao, a VC founder and father. Join us for transcripts, analysis, and community at www.jeremyao.com. Hi, Greg. Good to have you on the show. Uh, thanks, Jeremy. It's great to be here. Well, uh, really excited to have you here. Heard great things about you personally from EGN, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, and Dowers, former podcast guest, as well as Sam, uh, who we've met over Clubhouse. Uh, and really excited to share both your personal and professional journey as a founder and CEO. No, I'm excited to share it. And uh, yeah, great people you talk about, people I work with every day. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, for those who don't know you yet, you know, how do you describe yourself and your journey? Yeah. So I'm Greg, uh, CEO of Endowas, which is a uh, wealth platform here in Singapore. You know, we got started on our journey about four years ago. Uh, but before that, you know, I was I started off my career in investment banking, um, joined Grab Taxi when it was tax taxi only and cash only. Among, among many things, I think at that time, we, you know, a lot of people were wearing many hats. I, um, I started the payment business there and was the first person in business development for payments, you know, talking about the early rails of Grab solving driver cash in, cash out problems, and then the passenger cash in uh, to pay for rides and then as a wallet. So that was a fantastic learning experience, uh, 2015 to 2017. Left Grab to start in Dallas with a friend. Today in Dallas is the first and only digital advisor for the Central Provident Fund here in Singapore. But we help people manage their money across all their wealth. So uh, CPF, which is Central Provident Fund, SRS, um, and cash savings. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, four years on, we're, you know, almost 60 people based here in Singapore. Um, and I think really making a difference in the industry, which ultimately is the most important thing uh, for us. And I think something important that every technology company should do and, and making a positive impact, most importantly, not just change, but positive change. Yeah, awesome. And, you know, kind of like rolling back to the beginning, you know, I'm just so curious, like, why did you leave investment banking, right? Uh, so, you know, we all know the archetypes, right? You know, long hours, great pay. And then you decided to join something that was pretty crazy back then, right? So grab an entity in the team. So what was it that helped you say, like, this is something I want to make the move on? I guess going back even further, you know, I, I came from a family of entrepreneurs. I wouldn't say, you know, we were the most successful entrepreneurs, but everyone was sort of, you know, rolling their sleeves up, doing what they had to, to get by um, and growing a business. So <clears throat> I'm originally from Hong Kong. Um, you know, we're talking about the early days of, you know, coming over from China with nothing and the sort of grandparents generation. I think a lot of people share that story in Singapore, um, you know, trying to get into any business possible to get by. Uh, you know, luckily we did have some success. And I think, you know, when you when you see your parents and your grandparents working as entrepreneurs, 
that has an impact on the way that you know you see yourself in the future. So when I was at when I was in investment banking, and it was an awesome job, a great team. I was at UBS covering Asia Pacific private equity and venture capital funds. We we had a great thing going. You know, um, talking to the most sophisticated investors in the world, solving big problems with very very big money. Mm. But I looked I looked forward at what that career would look like, and I think everyone should do this, right? Um, you know, you should you should always look up, see what you know the the ten year or the twenty year you would look like if you did not change your path, mm. and you know, being comfortable and handling and living in the status quo is not a bad thing. But if you look up and that is not the way you want to sort of live your life, or if you look up and you say, okay, that 20 year from now, me looking back would feel very fulfilled or would feel very successful. If that's not the case, then it's, it's in your power to change that course. And, um, you know, it was, it was a couple years into that job where I said, okay, well, I should really, you know, I, there's something burning inside to get closer to sort of real business mm. and understanding how like a, a real operating business works, being a part of that system. So, uh, you know, I actually, it was a very cordial process and, and just I'm mean, testament to the great people that I've been exposed to throughout my career. You know, I, I raised this with uh, my bosses at the time and they said, you know, Greg, mm. you should take the time that you need to find that path you want to take. Mm. And you can even talk to some of our clients about it. You know, these are major private equity and venture capital firms that deal with entrepreneurs all the time. And, um, and those are very fruitful conversations. And I said, okay, well, and they said, look, Greg, you know, you're, you're very comfortable now. Uh, you're great at your investment banking job. Why don't you join a well-funded startup just to see the craziness, you know, get a taste for what this, you know, entrepreneurial journey would feel like. And, uh, and one of those VCs actually was an early investor in Grab. Um, I had known a number of people at Grab at that time. Mm. So yeah, I, I made the leap over to see the craziness. <laughs> and, and actually, I mean, and you'll, you'll appreciate this, Jeremy, but what appears to be very polished from the outside right. is very, very different from the inside. <laughs> and actually what appears to be moving at lightning pace from the outside, right. you're handling all the same manual human day-to-day -day problems in a tech company as you would in your family, <laughs> right? So to speak. <laughs> and I think it was seeing that and seeing that function and seeing that progress despite dysfunction. And I'm not saying Grab is more dysfunctional than others. I think every Every company is dysfunctional to a certain extent, mm. but exposing yourself to that is very important. Right. And then being able to reflect and say, you know what? I could build one of these dysfunctional, crazy places and, and, and also <laughs> make a difference uh, to the world and, you know, build something I really believe in. Mm. And I think that is what gave me the courage to, to go out and start in Dallas, which is, which is still a very co small company in its infancy. But with tons of possibility in the future, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Wow, there's a lot. I think that's definitely going to be a piece we're going to talk about the family, and it is a piece where we're going to talk about seeing the craziness. Now, let's talk about 
the family a little bit because I empathize with this, right? My grandfather left Guangdong uh, on a boat uh, and, you know, set up a business because he had to. Uh, similar for my father as well. Um, I'm so curious, like, what did you learn or take away from watching, you know, your parents be, you know, founders and business people? What was it like hearing the stories about your grandfather and what he had to do? Like, what what did you take away? Or what did you hear? Any stories to share? Yeah, so actually two sets of grandparents, both went on very different tracks. Mm. On my dad's side, they were from the sort of intellectual upper class in Shanghai. And they were in the group that made it to Hong Kong. You know, um, not everyone made it to Hong Kong in that group. Right. A lot of them stayed and lost everything. Luckily, they were of an age where they were well-educated. My grandfather spoke very good English by the time he got to Hong Kong. So Mm. English, Shanghainese, um, Mm. you know, we got to Hong Kong, Cantonese. um, Mm. And he was told to basically make a living and and to try and bring as many family members as he could afterwards. Mm. Right. Right. And back in the day, I think... If you were, you know, and, and, and unfortunately, it's not it's not a fair place. It's not a fair thing. But if you were educated and you could speak English, mm. you could become a trader of some sort. Right. Right. Just trading goods and making a margin on that. I mean, that was mm. that was a business back in the day. And, and it has been a business for a very long time, mm. maybe slightly disrupted by things like Alibaba. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, a lot of people in Hong Kong started off as traders mm-hmm. and then a lot of them much later on when China finally opened up again, got into manufacturing. Mm. So that was very much, I think, the journey of my, my dad's parents. Mm. And it wasn't just, you know, my dad, my, my grandfather working, my grandmother was basically his co-pilot and they worked very hard for their family to bring Mm. their family members over. I mean, it's, it's incredible, but you know, you start off, everyone's living in one flat, Right. You do a bit better and, you know, you can, you can, your, your brother, uh, his wife and children can move out of that flat and into their own flat. Mm. Um, And then slowly you start, you know, the family can establish themselves. And this is a 60, 70 year journey of labor Mm. to make a better life for those after you. Mm. And, you know, I'm making it sound a bit romantic, but it's, it's just a lot of hard work. It's a lot of grit. Mm. You know, as a trader, my grandfather would go to Europe, go to South America, trying to sell goods that were produced in the area to, you know, people in Europe and South America and be on the road for, for, for he'd be on the road for months with just a mm. briefcase, hoping mm. to win business. You know, right. this is obviously long before the Internet or even long distance right. calling was was really normal. Right. Right. So I think that, you know, that has always been some inspiration. It's not like they worked for big corporations and mm. had a nice pension plan and all those other things. Mm. So sort of, you know, doing it on your own, mm. I think, is, is more ingrained right. than maybe other people would have been exposed to. And again, right. I'm not saying they were really successful entrepreneurs, but they right. were entrepreneurs and they were right. and they had that mindset. Yeah. Yeah, and they were successful on their terms, which was bringing family over to a safer space and putting everyone together. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, 
So I think like something my grandfather really missed out on was his own education, which got cut short. Mm. And that was, um, you know, that was something he always reflected on mm. in his life. So, mm. you know, the second he had enough money to start giving back to society, and I think he's, he's given away more than half of his worth. Mm. And, and that was established long before he passed away, has been to educational causes. Right. I think money is a money is a means to an end. And, you know, when you have what you consider to be enough, and sometimes the world is not enough for some people, <laughs> but when you have what you consider to be enough, and, and my grandfather, unfortunately, you know, had very bad glaucoma and became blind, you start to give to what you think is meaningful or can make a difference in people's lives. And you take care, you know, you've taken care of your family, you've given them the best education that they can get themselves into. <laughs> Right. And uh, and yeah, so he was very focused on 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 giving back after he sort of set the basics. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. What a man. What was it like growing up as a kid hearing those stories? Did you hear from him directly? Did you hear from your parents? What was it like growing up hearing those stories? Were you proud? Were you scared? Were you apprehensive? You know, I'm just kind of so curious. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think as a kid, you're very much in your own world mm. and everything is relative to yourself. Right. So you really don't, you really don't appreciate a lot of things. I mean, if you have a lot, you don't appreciate a lot of things. If you don't have much, it doesn't really bother you too. Mm. Yeah. It's when you get older that you start to see this like scale across society mm. and what is unjust or just. Right. And what may be perceived as a right or perceived as a wrong. Mm. You know, for a while, I'm like, why is my grandpa giving away so much money? <laughs> it's not like we're that, that uber yeah. wealthy as yeah. well. It's like, you know, shouldn't he <laughs> leave more for me? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, you know, so, I mean, for me, when I was growing up, it's the only truth that you know. Mm. So I find myself appreciating it right. more and more through time. Right. And really not thinking much of it at the time. Right. So, but, and you know, it's like these, you know, older Chinese people, we all, you know, if you're, if you're Chinese and you have grandparents or if you remember these grandparents, they, they had to chirku. Yeah. Right. They had, they lived a tough life. Right. And it's not something they talk about too much. That's true. Even the most successful entrepreneurs in our society here in Singapore and Southeast Asia, they don't, they don't talk about their struggles. In fact, they, they everything to them is very like even their success seems hard. It's like a it's like a stone, right? Right. So you know, interacting with some of these patriarchs, it's 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 interesting. They mm. all kind of come off with the same like this is the way it is, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um, so he would, I mean, he would tell us stories very very seldom. I think mean, I think I heard them more from third parties. But again, I think everyone or everyone has their own stories mm. that that make up their perceptions of the world. Right. So I think having these grandparents who were entrepreneurial mm. and, and working until their last breath, you know, there's no concept of mm. retirement, so to speak. Mm. It becomes part of your DNA through osmosis. Mm. Mm. 
and through culture or through family culture. Right. So um, I always, I always felt that way about it. Right. Yeah. Mm. We have a whole new breed of entrepreneurs now, right? I mean, yeah. it's a whole different, it's a whole different game now. Right. So <laughs> you have to adapt with the times. <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But yeah, you know, you say something very true, right? Which is that, you know, you know, just the layers only become apparent as we get older, right? Because, you know, we don't know what's it like to earn money until we have earned money, right? You know, how hard it is. But I also know, don't know how hard it is to build a company, to build trust with the team, with the, you know, teammates or customers. And so I'm kind of curious, you know, like you, you saw all of this from your parents, you saw that in action with Anthony at a team at Grab and you saw the craziness. And then somewhere along the line, you said, I want to build something. I see something that I can build. How, how did that come about? It was actually a Singaporean friend of mine who's, who's one of Endowis' co-founders. Uh, Yuning and and his his life sort of perspective is very different. I mean, he was he was never working at a, a tech startup, so he was very very much a finance person. And uh, coming out of investment banking, I and dealing with the pension funds and the sovereign wealth funds and helping them allocate um, asset allocate, particularly to private equity and venture capital, mm. something didn't make sense to me, right? Like the individual investors way of investing is so different from the institutional investors way of investing. Mm. And it certainly cannot be true right. that the individual investors right. have a way of doing better <laughs> without the same access to resources, mm. access to products and you know, sort of calculated advice like, or calculated process. And I'd always been very interested in markets, you know, starting my own brokerage account. I think first trading on my dad's brokerage account with a small amount of money. And then be, when I went of age, uh, getting my own brokerage account and trading that and, and realizing how difficult it is to, to beat the market or realizing how, you know, Paying a small, well, paying a small price, what felt like a very large cost at that time um, in losses to understand the way markets work mm. and trying to get closer to that truth. Right. So for me on a personal sort of on a personal wealth level, I very quickly over, you know, five to eight years transitioned to a very sort of institutional way of managing my own money and the money of my family. You know, Yuning saw that or tried to invest his CPF and really mm. struggled with that process and was mm. pretty shocked by, first of all, the physical experience required. Mm. And then the end products that were offered, which were very expensive <laughs> and, you know, very, very unsuitable in our view for mm. retirement, long term wealth generation. So he approached me with the idea mm. and said, like, mm. why don't you give it a shot? Like, try, try doing this with your wife. And I tried and it was shockingly horrible. <laughs> I mean, I just think I was pushed some sort of like a China growth fund to invest my CPF in, which is very sector and geography specific. <laughs> and, you know, I had been trained mm. to have a very institutional, diversified process and way of asset allocating my wealth. 
And I thought, okay, there's no way mm. people in Singapore with CPF and CPF is, is huge. It's 37% of your income every month. Mm-hmm. There's no way people are getting the right advice mm-hmm. and building their portfolios properly right. for this long-term money. So, so then mm. we were like, okay, well, let's try and solve the CPF problem. And that's when, you know, we got like-minded people like Sam, uh, like Sin Ting, I mean, other colleagues in the early days to come together and really try and solve this problem. I mean, today in Dallas is the only mm. way to access passive strategies with CPF. So we brought two Vanguard managed funds into the system, the S&P 500 and the MSCI World sort of tracker funds mm. wrapped by OCBC Lion Global, another great partner of ours, to, um, to, to basically build holistic portfolios with CPF money. Mm. So that was kind of like the initial use case we were trying to solve. Right. And, you know, we very, I think we, we've done a good job achieving that. But along the way, we realized there were a lot of injustices in the financial services industry, things that are that are illegal in a lot of places that are allowed in, that are allowed in Singapore. Mm. And for me personally, I mean, my, my mission at Dallas, it's a derivative of many things, but it's if we can help people invest better, they can live easier today and be better prepared for tomorrow. And if they can live easier today, they can use their efforts to do things that make their lives better and make other people's lives better through their work and creativity and everything else. Mm. Right? Focus on things that they can control. And if they can live better tomorrow, mm. I mean, obviously that's good for them. Mm. They don't have to have a decrease in quality of life after retirement, which is you know, the way a lot of people end up living, right. unfortunately. Right. So invest better live easier and uh, and be better prepared for tomorrow and then in order to do that we need to provide better access to products mm. more suitable aligned advice at lower and fairer fees and all of that together will create a virtuous cycle in the industry to create better incentive alignment and hopefully make a positive impact on not only our customers but but also the industry even the regulators, mm. even the way other players or what people would call our competitors treat their customers. Mm. Because I think what people don't realize is that most of financial services mm. today in Singapore and in many and basically all of Asia runs on kickbacks, mm. right? Kickback where if I sell you this fund, you will pay mm. 1.5% at the fund level and I will collect, you know, mm. 0.9% from the fund manager as a sales commission. So I'm always incentivized mm. to push you funds right. that I get a higher sales commission on, right. and that's a recurring sales commission. I mean, forget the sales charge and everything else, which is still very, very common, mm. where you know, I mean, we have clients come in and said, oh, I just, got, I just paid for this fund, <laughs> the same fund, mm. I paid three times the price, and I paid a 3% sales fee. It's like, why, why is that? Hmm. How is that even possible? Hmm. So we want to remove that virus in the industry and, and really use technology. And I think, I think fintech is a way of creating positive change through efficiency, but really be a fintech that is for good. You know, I, I don't necessarily think helping people trade is a good thing. So to me, as technology builders, we need to have an opinion for the future. And sometimes like just creating 
a very, very open marketplace where it's really easy to trade won't necessarily lead to better outcomes for your end customer. Will it lead to more speculation and more volume and more people participating in markets? Yes, it will. But the average investor from just the way markets work will struggle in the long run. So I think we have to be very careful. And I think Indowis is is an extremely opinionated tech company. Mm. We're extremely opinionated in the way we communicate to our clients, we, the way we build our product, the types of solutions we bring onto the platform, even the way we handle money. So, uh, and, 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 you know, not always taking the easiest route with any of those things. Mm. You know, what's interesting as I hear you is I hear, you know, the old and new in you, right? You know, I think the new is the approach, the tactics, the design, the instruments and the old that I'm hearing from you is, you know, at least for me, it's like, I don't know, your heart for, you know, families and people to build financial security, right? I feel like there's a dotted line from what your grandfather did for his family all the way, you know, to your parents, to you and what you're doing at Dallas. I think, you're, you know, you're helping many families uh, build out financial security. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that does run in us, and and you know, I I will say that it is because you know my grandfather and you know families. Well, my grandfather, for example, let's say he was not successful and he could not provide for his family, then I certainly I don't think would have the privilege the privileges that I didn't work for. Mm. You know, I was birthed into a family that was very comfortable and could provide an education and nurturing that, I mean, unfortunately, it's not fair. A lot of families could not afford. And I mean, I see that. I see I'm, I'm, that's very clear in my mind. So I think, you know, to make a, you want to, you want to build upon something and hopefully not go backwards. Right. But I think, you know, having the privileges that I did have. Right. I'm not saying I'm also not saying I was the most privileged person, <laughs> but having having certain privileges mm. um, has allowed us to build this platform the way we want to build it. Right. Exactly. That is so true. And if if we did not, then yeah, I would build a platform where I would make a lot more money off clients and maybe they wouldn't know about it. And I would take the kickbacks because they, they're there for the taking. Mm. Right. But we have the opportunity because of all these circumstances right. and because we're building on something to actually, you know, take a stand because if we don't do it, I mean, someone else might, but you know, we can do it. Right. We're in the position to do it. And that is our purpose. Right. Right. Where, 10 years from now, hopefully the whole concept of kickbacks, the whole concept of trailer fees was absurd. Yeah. The whole concept of not investing your CPF and certainly not doing it online was absurd. Like where it would just be commonplace to handle your core wealth in a very responsible way, right? That is certainly not the case right now. A lot of people don't invest or they speculate. And there's a distinction between investing and speculating that people find very hard to differentiate because everyone has a very different experience of investing or speculating. So um, hopefully, I mean, um, and, and I, I, you know, I see the fruits of our labor. And, and actually, one more thing I want to say is when you pick a career or when you pick a company or when you decide on a problem to solve, you want to make sure that that problem is big enough and that you are putting your labor 
to good use because it's, o- it's only this labor and it could be a labor of love or pain or probably a combination of both that produces something mm-hmm. and it is a labor you know there's no way around it it is hard work it is going against the odds for sure well you know i think for what is worth i think your grandfather would be very proud of what you're doing because you know you're helping provide financial security for not just your family but also for so many other families the beneficiaries of the families that make a decision now to go with endowers uh, or a similar category right would be to the benefit of the, their children, right? To have the financial security to dream Correct. big and go off the big yeah. dreams. Because, um, you know, that's that's where, you know, the compounding of that financial stewardship really kind of like snowballs, right? And, and everything compounds, everything in life compounds. And with technology, it seems to compound at an even faster rate. Right. Because technology is much more scalable than one-to-one conversations. <laughs> and yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, if Endowas can achieve its goal of, let's say, helping 20,000 families secure their financial freedom, which allows them and their children to do more things, be exposed to more things, try more things, Right, gives them the courage to start the next generation of companies right. that will serve or produce the goods and services of our children. Right, It is a fantastic compounding effect. Right, And it's not like, you know, we always say this in our meetings and our webinars and things, but money is just a means to an end. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's sh- money should not control your life. Right. Money helps you live the life you want. Right. Um, so, you know, at Endowas, we're we're very focused on not trying to time the market or we're not we're not even taking a view on the market. We're trying to set your money up for your life goals mm. so that your money is actually serving your life. Yeah. And I think I think if we can do that for people they will be able to unlock a lot of potential in their lives. Lives, mm. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's deep. Money, money's in it. Money is just an enabler, right? Right. Just like food, food and water are enablers and we trade. And in this world, we trade money for food and water and then we trade money for education and, and ID, you know, and then what we can contribute to society is ultimately our creativity and our ideas and our action. So, um, you know, that's, I think, more than anyone can can hope for. Wow. I mean, you know, that's that's purpose, man. Right. You know, that's 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 a mission. That's a legacy. Right. You know, does it help when during tough times to have that sense of legacy or purpose or does it weigh you down or does it make things clearer when things are tough? I think when things are tough, you need to take a step back and have a perspective on what you're doing. You know, in Dallas, in Dallas recently had our first sort of external fundraise and it's the first time anyone had spoken to us about exits, right? Because actually for me, uh, I don't ever plan on necessarily exiting in Dallas. They go through different sh- stakeholders through time, <laughs> but um, I, I don't really plan on, on exiting because I see this as a lifelong journey right. and an evolution Right. I mean, it can it, w- it can really evolve. The product can evolve its capabilities. It's the customers it serves. All of that is going to change a lot mm-hmm. over the course of the next, you know, five decades. Right. 
you know, I think the the entrepreneurial journey, being a CEO, is one of is one of pain. And in order to get through that pain, that purpose is important. Mm. So it is important to keep on reminding yourself of the bigger picture and the positive effect that this company can have on you know people's lives. Our views of companies is very biased. And our view of entrepreneurs is also very biased because we tend to hear about the outliers, right? Or these like extreme successes. Mm. Um, But I think for every entrepreneur, for every CEO, for every founder out there, it is a a journey. It's a real... It's a real constant labor. It's a real lifestyle choice that you're making. But I think once you've made that choice, you can get through it. But it, you know, it feels like we're running sprints, like we're we're, we're in a sprint here. But to me, it's really a marathon, mm. an, an ultra marathon, because I don't really have an exit plan. I don't really care for an exit. I mean, you know, in the spirit of you know unskewing the popular perception of founders and startups. Um, have there are you are there any moments that you're open to share about where you know pain you know of founding and building has intersected with you know purpose um, in your personal journey with Endowers? I think you know you're always dealing with a lot of uncertainty as a founder. Mm-hmm. You know, you start this company, you need to find a CTO. <laughs> it's likely you never worked with a CTO before. And, and, um, and ultimately, I think what you, what you come to realize is that, especially a technology company, is really just a combination of people. And every person has their own life circumstances and their own purpose mm. and their own goals and their own ambitions. And, you know, they may want to buy a house or they may want to, you know, take care of their mother or whatever it is, or someone in their family might be ill. And I think, you know, early on in this journey, we actually lost our CTO, um, lost our CTO to our, um, or sort of like our, you know, our first tech lead to a family crisis and uh, that he had to deal with. And, it, you know, it is a struggle. It's a real, it's a real struggle to try. And I mean, I think someone said it is like a startup is like, you know, building an airplane while it's taking off, <laughs> but it's like, you know, you're taking off and then suddenly three engines black out <laughs> and you need to like build new engines while taking off. Mm. And so, yeah, I think people have, and you know, I think, <laughs> I think as a CEO managing people is very important and making sure that they are aligned to that purpose or aligned in a way that they feel incentivized to, to build the best thing of their life. And, um, a lot of those pains, I think, have come from people having their own life situations. Um, and I can't con- we can't control that anyhow. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, many times uh, detrimental to the company in the short term, but remaining strategically on track to what we are trying to build. And I think remaining strategically on track is what has allowed us to be focused, I mean, not even on our competitors, like we don't, you know, what people perceive to be our competitors is not something that we're focused on because we have such a grander purpose mm. than chasing after competitors. Right. And if we do it properly, 
and we do it right and we serve our customers well, we know that it's a long-term win. Mm. And we have that conviction ultimately. Right. Um, I mean, this is, you know, interestingly, one reason why Endowis did not raise external capital for four years is, um, and actually a lot of the equity of the company is owned by the employees of the firm. Uh, Many of the employees, including young engineers, have put up cash to buy equity in the firm. So not just, you know, stock options, but actually paying for equity in the firm. Right. And it's to really sort of align people to that mission so that they come into work every day and they're they're on a mission to make their own lives better and to build something that will make people's lives better. So yeah, very important. I think alignment, alignment of interests is an absolutely critical thing. And it's I mean it doesn't matter if you're if you're a if you're a VC and you're investing in a business. Mm. You know, you have a lot of terms to ensure alignment of interests. If you're an employee, yes, you get paid, but you need, you know, you want to advance your career. You want to make money. You want to have upside too. That's what's going to give you, that's what's going to give you the power to give that 110% every day. Right. So you need alignment of interest. Um, if you're a founder, you need that vision, that purpose, and to not get knocked off the road. And and that is your alignment of interests. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Well, we're coming on time here. So, you know, I want to ask you one last question here, which is, you know, when I was a founder and CEO, you know, the, I always found like the toughest moments was my own psychology, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, like you say, the engines are going out, uh, you got to jump in and fix it while, you know, and then there's passengers on board, right? And everyone's kind of looking at you and so, so forth. Um, and that's all during the day, right? <laughs> going through the night. How, I'm just kind of curious, how, how do you, at night, you know, out of work or whatever it is, what is it that gives you strength to be brave, you know, the next day, you know, like how do you, I don't know, recharge or recenter yourself or, you know, touch bases, you know, is it someone, is it something, is it routine? How do you um, pull together the energy to be brave for the next day, whatever it is? I mean, again, I think, I think it goes back to family. I feel a lot of, um, I feel a lot of safety from family and, 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 you know, going back to this whole conversation, a lot of that's driven by financial security and, and having that financial security provides safety. And I, it's, it's a bit unfair because not everyone will have that. Um, not everyone will have that advantage. So I know that it is an advantage. Mm to me. And I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid to use it because it is an advantage. Right. But again, you know, I don't think it's particularly fair uh, (laughs) in society, but yeah. Yeah. Well, the family, the family does provide and, and a very supportive, a very supportive family and not only my own family, but my wife's family, very supportive of what we're trying to create in Dallas. And they just give me the courage to soldier on. Wow. Thank you. And for what is worth, you know, I think we're all born of these privileges. And I think what's fair is that you're giving people more shots at that life in the future. So thank you so much for what you're doing, Greg, for so many folks out there. Uh, I personally appreciate it, even though they may never know your name. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for coming to the show, Greg. Thanks, Jeremy. It was a good, good conversation. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyow.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave. Thank you.